miss the show, no worries, on point and on the podcast. William Shatner going to the edge of the earth for reals this time. He'll turn his fictitious space to journey into reality. So we'll talk to a real astronaut about what that might be like. Chris Hadfield explains some of the challenges this 90-year-old actor will face. Restaurants and bars are furious, rightfully furious with the Ford government's latest stunt, allowing big stadiums and theaters to open but keeping them closed. I mean, if this decision-making is being driven by data, why is the little guy constantly losing? And energy prices, not going to be nice anytime soon. They are going up and folks are getting sticker shock. Well, what did these people think would happen if we landlocked oil, slapped carbon and clean fuel taxes on top, and now there's a, sh a shortage around the world for fuel? I mean, imagine if only we had something to sell that everyone needs. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. As annoying as it is, and I think everybody is looking forward to a, a hot holiday, but some Canadians even want to travel because they haven't seen family in a very long time, that we still have travel advisories in place recommending that people don't travel. What's annoying are these rules that once again prove they are not data-driven, they are just about politics. Alex Pearson, back with you here on this Tuesday, October, no, September, no, October, sorry, October 12th. I'm back a month, but nonetheless, it felt like September, felt like actually July and August this weekend. It was an amazing weekend. Perfect weekend to get out and decorate the house, which we always kind of go big on, get bigger by the year. So I enjoyed uh, watching people get spooked. <laughs> There's nothing funnier than watching someone get spooked, but they don't think anyone's watching. Not that I'm being creepy, but it was just, uh, it was funny. Nonetheless, I also hope you uh, got out to see your family and friends, albeit according to our trusty experts. I always say experts in quotation marks. Heading to a stadium full of screaming fans, I guess, is somehow safer than dining with our loved ones indoors. And look, if you're confused by the rules these days, it's because none of them make sense. Not at any level of government. And that's because they're not being driven by data. And as you've been hearing about, and as we talked about, I mean, late Friday, the Ford government announced that it was going to lift capacity limits at big concerts, theater venues, horse racing, movie theaters, you know, all those businesses which can pack in tens of thousands of people, yet small businesses like oh, gyms, restaurants, all of those stand a restriction. And I don't understand what's safer than to be cheek to jowl with 30,000 fans at a sporting event or sitting in a restaurant with a couple of dozen people. I don't, I don't get why thousands of fans can scream at a sporting event, but the medical health officer is saying kids have to whisper trick or treat, right? I do not see, and no doctor or expert is going to convince me how it is safer to go to a concert than go to a gym. And that's because it's not. I mean, here we are, we're vaccinated, right? We're doing our part. Should be safe, that's what they told us. So why are we again here with policy that is so stupid where it shows Ford once again back in the big guy over the little guy? Where did Premier Ford go? Can someone please explain? I mean, of course, we couldn't ask the question because this was all dumped late on Friday of a long weekend, and it's done by design. Make no mistake about it. Politicians do this all the time. And I don't know why we put up with it, but it's so that the government of the day, this time we're talking about Ford, wouldn't have to explain the unexplainable, because this is straight-up politics. I mean, I don't understand how it is 
that more and more people are supposed to be following the rules when none of them make sense, which is why I think people just don't care anymore. And to make matters worse, to make matters worse, even worse, not one elected MP bothered to even show up on an arranged conference call today to explain to any businesses why these rules are as they are. It's Larry shocking, Isaacs, please. stunned, disappointed, disillusioned, angry. I can carry on for an hour. It, it's embarrassing. What the government has done now has shown absolute no, no respect for the restaurant industry at all. The fact that you can sit 18,000 people in a stadium eating a hot dog, shouting and screaming, and we are restricted on our patios still is an embarrassment to our industry. Sure is. Doesn't make any sense. And that guy is uh, Larry Isaacs, who owns the Firkin Group of Pubs. Hard to blame his anger. You know, and now we're heading into the cold season. And no one in charge has even bothered to announce a plan for small businesses once they can't do business outside. And there are 480,000 people who work in the bar and restaurant business. And what happens to them if these capacities are not lifted? You know, and, and since 84% of this province is fully vaccinated, where is the freedom we were told would come with it? Does that only exist for the big businesses or those who have the biggest lobbyists? I mean, none, again, none of it makes sense. And then over the weekend, I'm sure you caught wind of this nonsensical nugget. Albeit, I do not expect much more from Health Minister Patty Haju. She was um, on with the West Block with Mercedes Stevenson, where she warned Canadians, of course, don't travel unless it's absolutely necessary. We've seen outbreaks where people have traveled for a variety of reasons across the country, either for work or for personal reasons, and unwittingly seeded an infection in another community. Yeah, okay. I wish Ms. Haju was nearly as concerned when COVID was still an ocean away. I mean, back then she just kept saying, yeah, it's low risk. Germs don't know borders, remember? It's all low risk. And then she and every other woke politician made the issue of stopping COVID spread from Wuhan into an issue of racism. But how, how had you can keep a straight base, a straight face with with a comment? Given her boss just forced an election that no one wanted, there was a lot of crisscross travel in this country, lots of crowds in small spaces. And then he went off to a family vacation in Tofino. Any of that really necessary? No. But we're not in this together. So like either we can travel or we can't. And it shouldn't matter the distance, because we can just as easily spread COVID going to your local Costco as you can flying from BC. I mean, and then I thought about that. I thought, no, because if you're on the plane, you actually need a vaccine passport. If you go to the Costco, you don't. Again, another rule that's not driven by data, because if we go by Haju's comments there, we could spread germs and COVID to areas where there's nothing existing. Well, that can happen locally, too. Happen all, it could happen at a school. So, yes, these are political decisions dressed up to look like those in charge are in charge. And they're so nonsensical, it presents like a block of Swiss cheese, including the vaccine mandate. Trudeau swore he'd never bring in. And now we, we have weeks until all federal employees have to get vaccinated or they'll be put on unpaid leave. And what they fail to explain is that of the 300,000 employees, 212,000 will be exempt. 
Thanks again to our friends over at Blacklock's Reporter. 70% of the federal workforce, be it crown corporations or, you know, whatever, they will be exempt. Judges, CRA employees, military members, not included. Prison guards and RCMP are. Commons and Senate, Senate staff don't have to have the shot, but political staff do. Meat ex- inspectors are exempt, despite the fact that meat packing plants across this country were pretty big sources of outbreak. I mean, the biggest joke about Trudeau's zero tolerance federal mandate is that it's all being policed using an honor system. So while the rest of us chumps have to go provide proof of vaccine to go to a movie or take our kids to hockey, and then small businesses have to carry out enforcements, we're going to have f- hundreds of thousands of federal employees who can just say, yeah, I got the shot. I mean, how is that? no nonsense vaccine rules. I mean, I could go on. My point is pretty simple. These are not data-driven decisions. They are political. And either vaccines make us safe or they don't. Either all of these activities are safe or none are safe. Either we all have rules or no one has rules. I mean, the fact that no one in charge can ever lead by example or can't even come up with rules that make sense. I mean, can you be really surprised why so few people now bother to follow any? I plan to be looking out the window with my nose pressed against the window. The only thing I don't want to see is a little gremlin looking back at me. Well, that would probably make it just a little more exciting, would it not? But yeah, there you go. That is the voice of 90-year-old William Shatner, who is now on the eve of a space launch that will take him right to the edge of space, far beyond the world of fiction, where, uh, of course, you know him as Captain Kirk. But uh, nonetheless, tomorrow morning, we all be watching, assuming the weather is good at 9.30, as this 90-year-old actor boards the Blue Origin, and he will be launched into space with three others. And he admits he's a bit scared. He's very much thrilled about it. But unlike his 30-minute fictional TV show, this will be a an out-of-body experience that will be over within minutes. So how do you even prepare for it? Let's ask someone who would know. Chris Hadfield is his name. He's a retired Canadian space agency astronaut, engineer, science guy, singer, former fighter pilot, also the first Canadian to walk in space. The commander joins us now. Good to have you. Hello, Alex. Uh, nice to be speaking with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious because you do have a lot of experience that no one else would have. But um, a guy like William Shatner has a lot of experience on a green screen and in an acting facility. Did you actually need experience to be one of these people going up into uh, into, I guess, breaking the, the atmosphere? It's sort of like the experience you need to go for a flight on Air Canada. I mean, you have to be able to you know, do logical things in case of an emergency and, you know, do up your own seatbelt and put on an oxygen mask if things go badly, you know, just a low level. But no, I think it's amazing that our technology has moved along uh, so rapidly um, so that Bill, I mean, I've done several things with Bill Shatner and I'm really excited for him that he's getting this personal experience. He was inspirational to me as a kid, but that, you know, a 90 year old, is going to be able to just get up to the very bottom of space and, and see the world that way, um, and I'm sure he'll be he'll be fine. It, it's not that demanding to to be a passenger on board this little ship. Yeah, unless you're terrified of flying, which I am, so I will always just watch from afar and say neato. But um, you yourself have spent months and months, um, you know, orbiting um, in in space. Uh, this is over pretty quickly, and so he you go up, break this the barrier of I guess the speed barrier, but he's only up there for a few minutes, correct? 
Yeah, but then again, I spent uh, 40 years getting ready uh, to be competent to fly the spaceships that I flew. And, and so I think you get, you know, what, what you put into it. And the, uh, the, the difference between, you know, being a professional astronaut and, and flying the ship and doing the exploration and all that, you know, it's the same as uh, between a professional pilot and someone riding in the back. But, but still, I mean, we've never been able to do this before. You know, mm -hmm. where it, things are, the cost is coming down enough that a private, it's still early days and expensive, but where a private citizen can, can buy a ticket to fly in space. I mean, that's, that's crazy that we're at that point and we need regulation and we need to sort out how this is going to fit into society. But I'm, I'm really excited to see Captain Kirk flying in space. I think it's cool. Yeah, it almost uh, brings it. I mean, by the time uh, my little guy is uh, growing up or by the time I'm nearing my end of, of life, this probably will be pretty kind of routine. What is the most um, distracting thing to somebody who has never been in space? Is it actually looking down and seeing the world or is it the, the feeling of floating all of a sudden? It's weightlessness. Uh, weightlessness is so, it's like, it's like somebody just in, to snap their fingers and gave you a superpower and now you can fly you know you're an x-man or superwoman or tinkerbell or something and that's so cool it makes you laugh and and you just want to play with it and, and be joyous joyous about it and then a lot of people get motion sick you know because it's kind of uh, weird <laughs> but but it is so cool and and when i was talking to bill you know i i like don't don't try and record this experience for someone else. Just absorb it. Be in the moment. Really soak it up. Figure out what it feels like and what it looks like out the window, um, and, and you know, be be a complete sponge. And because a lot of people are going to ask you afterwards, you know, what was it like? In other words, be present. Stay off Twitter. Don't worry about getting a selfie. Just be in that moment. Um, what's the most dangerous um, part of this this mission? Uh, this is only the 18th time this rocket has ever flown and and with this particular engine the fourth time to any airplane you've ever gotten on alex has flown thousands mm -hmm. of times with test pilots to make sure that it's safe so uh flying rocket ships i know i've flown three of them and it's they've killed a lot of my friends they're dangerous and this is about as safe as you can get a little hydrogen oxygen burning engine and you know they're doing their best but there's there's you know pretty measurable risk but then again you know, Bill's 90 and, and he can take that risk if he wants to at this stage of life, you know. Yeah, have no regrets, have no regrets. Do you ever see a time, a commander, when people will travel to space with, let's say, experienced, um, you know, astronauts like yourself? Will that be a thing or is your job and, and other astronauts that are, who are trained like yourself, it, it's a different thing? We're going to keep space travel to the this side of things, but we keep the research on, on the other side. No, I, I do say that happening. In fact, I see it happening in January because there's a wow. Canadian and two Americans who are flying up to the International Space Station with one of my classmates, a longtime Navy test pilot and astronaut named Mike Lopez Alegria. And Mike has taken those three guys up to the space station for eight or 10 days. So absolutely, that's where we are. Where it's a huge laboratory and it's very cool. But there's there's enough capacity up there for a few looky loos to come up for a while and and you know be the early tasters of that new experience you know it's uh, it's an amazing time and it's sort of a natural progression um and and i think everybody needs to sort of take a step backwards and look at the big picture of the technology and how fast it's moved along and how we want to integrate this into culture and society and and the type of things that we're free to do and i think it's a really fascinating uh, development and uh, i'm curious to see just how this is going to unfold 
No kidding. And, and just before I let you go, because I know you're extremely busy and in demand today, what is the general reaction from people when they get back down on the ground? Is it anything like they thought? Um, my space flight experiences were better than I dreamed they would be. His will be, you know, way short, you know, just not long enough to really soak it in, more like a transient taste in your mouth, a tasting menu, not a full meal, but <laughs> but still, I like a tasting menu nobody's ever had before. So, and he's one of the very first. So um, he's going to come back with a lot of things to think about, and maybe that's the point. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your insight into this. I know that uh, you are in great demand today, and I know you'll be watching Wednesday morning, assuming it goes ahead. But thank you today for sharing some of your insights. Thanks, Alex. And uh, take care. Bye bye. Thank you. You as well. That is Commander Chris Hadfield, who uh, will watch this from a very unique perspective tomorrow morning. If you want to catch it, it is at 930 in the morning. And of course, that is weather permitting. So we'll see if it takes off. By the way, Shatner did actually see a gremlin on his plane's wing. It was back in 1963 for an episode of The Twilight Zone. It's shocking, stunned, disappointed, disillusioned, angry. I can carry on for an hour. It, it's embarrassing. What the government has done now has shown absolute no, no respect for the restaurant industry at all. The fact that you can sit 18,000 people in a stadium eating a hot dog, shouting and screaming, and we are restricted on our patios still is an embarrassment to our industry. That is Larry Isaacs of the Firkin Group. Not at a loss for words today. He is angry, and uh, I don't blame him. Because these COVID policies are just not only nonsensical, they're unfair. And the people in charge have definitely picked winners and lots of losers with their non-bad-a-day's decision-making. The hospitality sector they have chosen as a loser. You know, you need proof. Just look at the last uh, policy they put out. And I think a lot of people just assume that these businesses, these big restaurants, can survive dishing up takeout. They can't especially when you add to their struggle, rising costs on food, costs on fuel, everything. And sadly, now we're seeing some of the pretty big names uh, in Toronto restaurants that took decades to build are, are now starting to collapse. Very sad and very unnecessary. I want to bring in Charles Kabuth to this conversation. He is the owner of Inc. Entertainment, one of the uh, biggest bar and restaurant owners in this country. Great to have you, Charles. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. So you have fought tooth and nail like other restaurants in the hospitality business to uh, survive. And uh, it's been really, really painful. What, what do you make of these new uh, policies that the Ford government announced on Friday? I mean, I'm personally 100 percent convinced now it's all political. It's all a matter of you who's got pull. As you can see, it's constantly, constantly the big box stores, the big, big corporations that are winning pushing the government around, pushing politics through. I mean, how can you have 15 to 20,000 people jumping up and down? And I have video of people without masks. Who's putting on a mask? You see the odd one with a mask. Most of them without a mask, screaming, shouting, which makes me happy. That don't, I'm not for a second upset about that. But to single us out and keep <laughs> restaurants and bars limited to certain things, makes no sense. It's unbelievable that they have gotten away with it so far. And, you know, I'm on the verge every day of speaking to lawyers and dealing with mm -hmm. it. And I keep hoping that I wake up in the morning and hear that the news have changed. Uh, but it, it really is ridiculous. Everybody's laughing at it. 
Yeah, I mean, not everybody. I mean, I, I'm frustrated as just somebody who lives in the community and I'm seeing all the suffering of the small business, um, you know, and the fact is, you know, we've seen this government reverse course many a time when there's been blowback and, you know, word through the kind of gossip mills that they've got something that's in the works and they're going to say something soon. But the bottom line is, why not just announce it all at the same time? I don't see how someone um, can't go to your club with thousands of others if they can go to a stadium um, and do the same thing. Like, I'm trying to figure out what's the difference in safety protocol. It's either safe or it's not. Really, it's not about anymore uh, the safety protocol. It's about, you know, the big corporate giants that are pushing their weight around. And, you know, that's who pays for, uh, you know, politicians to run. That's who gives money for so many things to go on behind the scene. And that's why, I mean, I had dinner with a couple of politicians just this past Wednesday. And they told me they get calls specifically without naming names, two, three big giants that call them every mm-hmm. single morning. And they have collapsed under pressure. And if it's not under pressure and it's safe, then let us open. Let me open. Uh, you know, a small nightclub that holds five, six hundred people. Let me open my restaurants fully and allow people to sit next to one another. It's ridiculous where we are right now. It's 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 blatantly, you know, in your face that we've been singled out. There's no words other than that for me. I wouldn't consider you a small business, not like, a, I mean, Amazon is, is a different kind of league from everything, but, you know, know you built Nation, your business over MLSC, decades. Yeah. You know, and it, you yep. know, MLSC, it, all those things. Yeah. To do whatever they want. And listen, I'm, you know, we do business together and I'm, I'm all for it. I welcome it, but let the other, the rest of the world open up in, in our city. Let, you know, I see so many people struggling and suffering. We're doing well, mm-hmm. fortunately, but all of our clubs and bars are closed. I mean, we yeah. cannot open some of these places with 250 people. It makes no financial sense. You cannot justify it. Uh, but, right. you know, I see a concert with 15, 20,000 people jumping up and down. It's, I, I, it's I, really, I'm lost for words. Yeah, and, and I mean, it takes, what, a couple of decades, few decades to build what you have built, um, you know, and then I read about Mark McEwen, one of the high-end um, eateries, not I mean eatery, I mean, he, he owns some of the most successful restaurants in, in Toronto, and, you know, he's on the verge of bankruptcy or insolvency, you've got the owners of Barbarians speaking out, these high, high-end restaurants that took decades to build, and once they're gone, they're gone, but the fact that it's even come to, you know, that we're seeing you know, three, four decades of work completely collapsed because of, of these policies is not just heartbreaking, it's it's angering. No, I mean, Mark and I started, uh, you know, at the same time, roughly 35, 37 years ago. And it's sad for me to see what is going on and in certain people collapsing. And we're still here, we're doing well, but it's a struggle. And we have a lot of weight on our shoulders. We're now carrying debts that we did not have in place before, um, you know, and and we're still not able to open. It's it, like open fully to the extent that we need to, to be profitable. Because the way we're running, most places are not profitable now. And yeah. labor and, and I- uh, costs has gone up. Food costs has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's really 
borderline, you know, do I stay in this or not? It's, it's really very, you know, very toxic right now. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. And for someone like you to say that, who's made a, just a life out of this, um, you know, to feel that defeated is pretty, pretty upsetting. Um, you know, we're now a couple of weeks away from cold weather. We've gotten very lucky with this warm weather. But once the uh, cold weather goes away, uh, if they don't lift these policies and allow places like yours to bring people indoors, uh, can you manage another few months of this? Well, we've had to move two of our shows uh, outdoor. And, of course, when you do that, um, a certain amount of people, um, you know, get a refund because they don't want to be outdoor. They don't want to take a chance. We moved one of our big events um, on Sunday, Saturday outdoor, and it rained. <laughs> we had to rent tents, which was in the thousands. And then a certain amount of people, you know, said we're not going outdoors, so they refunded their tickets. And the same for next week and, and a few weeks coming up. So I'm hoping we get a break very, very soon, just like, you know, all the giants that have gotten breaks, like all the teams now, people can go, you know, mm-hmm. fill the stadiums. And again, I'm so happy it's happening. But let us... <laughs> join that happy moment of knowing that we can reopen to the public again and do it safely. You know, everybody's been fully vaccinated. No one's been allowed unless they're, you know, fully vaccinated. We're checking ID. People are wearing masks on the way in and out. So we're doing it properly. I'm not sure how they've gotten away with it so far. Really, I don't know. If you could uh, speak to the Premier, if he was uh, listening, what would you say to him? Uh, Be fair. I don't, and I think that's the only thing I'm asking for today is to be fair. Be fair to the rest of us and not collapse under pressure that's coming from the bigger companies and allow them to open fully. And, you know, a lot of the rest of us are sitting on the sideline. Just be fair. Yeah. You just need to be yeah. fair. Charles, very much appreciated, of course, uh, hoping that uh, hope... Hoping against hope that all uh, turns around sooner rather than later. But two years later, I just uh, keep hoping that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. That is Charles Caboose, who is uh, owner of Inca Entertainment. You know what, Mr. Ford, it is time to get back fighting for the little guy. That is who who voted you in, so get back to fighting for them. You know, we're heading into the perfect storm of an energy crisis that I don't really think should surprise anyone. And it should have been seen coming years ago. After all, I mean, what did the climate crowd think would happen when you refuse pipeline development, you keep Canadian oil in the ground, and then you add a carbon tax, a clean fuel tax onto the cost of fuel? I mean, did Canadians think all of a sudden winter wouldn't happen or that we'd all of a sudden have a brand new electricity grid built to fuel millions of electric cars? I mean, how did anyone in this country convince themselves that all of a sudden fossil fuels would no longer be in demand? Because while the climate crowd will tell you that fossil fuels are dead, the reality is there is huge demand around the world. And now globally, there's a shortage of fuels we need to keep the lights on. But sadly, our very reliable oil is stuck in the ground as we watch prices keep going up. Lori Goldstein joining us now, columnist for Toronto Sun as uh, has written a column about this. And, uh, you know, you think to this, Lori, and you think, gee, if only we had something that could actually, you know, make money and, and you know, solve this issue. <laughs> if only we had vast oil resources and adequate pipeline infrastructure that we could sell this uh, 
a product globally where prices are now surging and, and use that money to improve health care and maybe even transition uh, the enormous costs that are going to be involved in going from fossil mm-hmm. fuels to um, renewable energy. And that's actually, believe it or not, that's actually Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's stated policy, that we're going to use the profits uh, from oil uh, production to help finance the transition to green energy. But the problem, as you know, is that we don't have enough pipelines uh, to do that. And so um, what happens is, is that our oil gets sold at an enormous discount, mainly to the United States, because we can't get it to global markets. Uh, but but more, than, more than that, what I wrote about was the foolishness, and I talked specifically about something that uh, Elizabeth May and, and, the, and the Bloc Québécois leader said about a year ago, uh, that was oil was dead while oil prices were crashing around the world. And the, the foolishness of that was that, well, no, they were crashing because of the COVID-19 recession. Uh, when a recession happens, uh, people uh, spend less on the goods and services that are created by fossil fuel energy. And that's why there becomes a glut of fossil fuel energy and prices fall. Um, that happened in the 2008-2009 uh, recession that was started by the subprime mortgage derivative crisis in the United States eventually became a global credit freeze, and it's happened more severely because of COVID-19. But now that we're getting you know, more access to vaccines um, and, and economies are beginning to recover, um, they, they need to ramp up uh, production of all kinds of things. And the problem now is that with all of the world trying to do that, now there's a shortage of oil, there's a shortage of coal, there's a shortage of natural gas, um, and that's going to ramp up prices, and it's going to cause two problems uh, this winter. Uh, in Canada, but actually globally, it's going to cause commodity prices to rise, which means we're going to be paying more for things to like to heat our home and drive our cars, and, uh, and there's going to be a shortage, um, uh, you know, an ac- actual shortages. Um, uh, maybe not as bad in Canada, but certainly bad in other parts of the world. I mean, I mean, Americans are looking at gasoline prices that they've never seen. And um, so, you know, Elizabeth May, you know, the UK, the, the um, separatist leader uh, in May of 2020, uh, oil is dead. Uh, oil this last week hit seven-year highs. And so a failure to understand also that um, uh, oil prices and energy prices are cyclical. And, and just the, the we're paying the price for the magical thinking that somehow you could um, replace um, oil, coal, and natural gas magically very quickly with wind and solar and biomass and all those things. And you can't do it for two reasons. The first is that, well, yeah, there's green energy. It doesn't deliver power um, the way that, that traditional like fossil fuels does. That's, that's one of the problems. And the other is that you can't use wind and solar in particular to supply baseload power to the electricity grid on demand, which is the most important thing for energy. And the reason you can't do it is that the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine, and when that doesn't happen, we don't have the technology yet. We will someday. We don't have the technology yet of batteries that can store that energy to power a modern mm. industrialized country like Canada. When that happens... But we also don't have a power grid. I mean, like we have a shaky power grid at best. And then so 
not only is no one investing in building this magical power grid, um, Lori, where everyone's going to have their magical electric car and all the millions yeah, on the road, yeah. and that's great, but we, we can't fuel them. But what do you see the scenario then in Canada? Because, um, you know, I think it was last winter, if, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember now, but we almost had a propane shortage um, in, in Quebec. You know, they were, they were days away from running out of fuel. I think yeah. that was the blockades. Uh, yeah. But, you know, what are we looking at in your mind as far as, like, are we looking at brownouts? I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. I mean, is that what people will finally start to wake up to and say, oh, wow, I mean, we do really actually need these fossil fuels for a while? Yeah, I think in Canada, uh, it will be more high prices. I think that, you know, we're having this perfect storm of, um, you know, inflation, uh, uh, cost of food. Well, of course, the cost of food. And that's added to by the fact that the more that oil uh, costs, you know, the more it costs to transport and things in that. In, in terms of shortages, I don't have enough expertise. Uh, uh, I do know, though, that what I would say are things like, well, you know, I think it'll mainly be high prices, which is going to be bad enough. Um, but if we have to deal with insane things like the governor of Michigan wanting to shut yeah. down line five, which would cause an energy crisis in, let me think of all the places, that would cause uh, an energy crisis in Ontario and Quebec. It would damage the Quebec and, sorry, uh, yeah, Ontario and Quebec. It would damage the Alberta and Saskatchewan economies. It would it damage the Michigan economies. It would damage the uh, states around Michigan uh, because suddenly um, we're going to have like, like a massive decline of the availability of oil and, and natural gas. And that's what we're dealing with, Alex. I mean, we're, we're in this crisis and yet, what's Canada having to do now? It has to invoke a treaty to try to get Joe Biden to, to basically tell Michigan, that's run by a Democratic governor, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, do you not like, like the Michigan governor wanted in November of 2020 to shut down Line Five, which supply enormous amounts of energy to Ontario and Quebec in particular, and to like Detroit by May, by May of 2021. That's that's the problem. Like like anybody who understands anything about energy would go, that's impossible. You cannot do that. Um, um, and, and so I guess my concern is that on top of the energy problem we're going to have, we just have politicians who have – it's astounding. that They have no idea of what they're doing when they talk yeah. about massive shifts off of fossil fuel energy out of the blue. Uh, you, you know, it, it's like I'm writing. Well, we're writing tomorrow an editorial about we're going to have this huge United Nations meeting in Glasgow, Scotland at the in November 1 to 12th. And they're going to be denouncing fossil fuel energy, which they always do, while their governments, the leaders are going to be doing that while their governments right now from China to India to Europe to North America are scrambling to find sources of fossil fuel energy. It, it's like yeah. they're, they're dysfunctional. It's, you know, we know what's going to happen. You know, Greta Thunberg and all those 20,000 people are going to come pouring into, like the leaders are going to come in on their private jets while leaving a carbon footprint in their way that could choke a horse. And the environmentalists are going to come in. 20,000 people are supposed to come to Glasgow. What happened to, what happened to no unnecessary travel during, an, during a, a pandemic, right? And they're going to yeah. do that routine they've been doing for 25 years and um, and you're just going to look at it and go, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, first of all, hold this meeting by video conferencing. And second, your concern now shouldn't be praising renewables. It should be figuring out how we're going to get through the energy crisis. Well, nonetheless, 
it all ends up as being a pocketbook issue, and maybe this will finally wake people up. But by then, we all know it'll be too late. Laurie, I will appreciate Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, if I had one thing right now, it was for heaven's sakes, get the pipeline, get the one pipeline we have built at least. Um, at least at least that at least then we can get you know a good portion of our resources to global markets uh, we can make more money uh, that way and then we can use that money to fund what the government wants to do which is to transition to so you know good that's what you want to do good just do it you say that's your policy you say your policy is to use our vast oil and gas resources uh, to you know power us and transition us into this brave new world of renewables great just do it but you got to do it by actually building pipelines yeah, and do it before there's an actual energy crisis and we're into rolling brownouts, which were once upon actually a thing in this province. Laurie, thank you always for your time. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Laurie Goldstein in uh, jo- uh, joining us now. And, of course, you can read his uh, editorial in the paper, the Toronto Sun, on Wednesday. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.